Welcome to this episode of The French Press. Let me pour you a cup of coffee while we talk about intrigues of faith, pages we've dog-eared, and the life in between on The French Press. Today, I want to talk about Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol. Now, I have not read this book before. I have seen probably every movie adaptation of it known to man, but I've never actually read the book. And, little life hack, I'm actually reading the children's classic. So it's a little bit easier. So if you have wanted to tackle some Dickens, which I have read some of his full works, and they are a lot to tackle. He's a good writer. He obviously is a classic. I mean, he's famously known for being really wordy. They say because he was paid by the word. So he has a lot of description and he likes to list things I've noticed. He'll like list all the food that was there and then he'll list it all again. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh, you're getting paid by the word. So why not list, you know, all the decorations and all the food and all the people that are present. So there's a lot of that, which I don't mind. I don't mind flowery writing. But it can be a little laborious if that's not your style or it's not what you're used to. Certainly today, we're a very soundbite people, and I'm that way too. And so to actually sit into like a long, wordy, flowery book that takes place in a different time, it can sometimes feel overwhelming. But I promise you, A Christmas Carol would be well worth your time. So I'm halfway through, and I wanted to talk about the first half while it's fresh in my mind. I'm taking all these notes on all the books I'm reading, the things I'm looking at, and I hope to come back to speak about several of those things, but they do lose a little bit of something if I wait too long. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to talk about the first half of The Christmas Carol and then do a second half installment. It may be after Christmas before I finish it, but, you know, hopefully within that Christmas break time. I've set a bit of an atmosphere. If you've listened to some of my other works, or maybe this is the first one I'm actually publishing, who can know? I talk about how I wish I had a studio and I wish I had a place to work and I don't. So I did get a new microphone and I'm hoping this helps. I've set up a little spot in my room um, with some low lighting and I've got my books and notebooks. And I actually just lit a candle that I poured myself. First time I've ever made a candle. It's a beeswax candle and I have some vintage glassware and added some essential oils that smell like Christmas. And there's a little cranberry and a little piece of a Christmas tree in there. So it's a very Christmassy candle and there's a little bit of red tint to the glassware. So it's kind of casting this little bit of a red tint. It feels very Dickens. So I set the atmosphere, which I love atmosphere. I would invite you to do the same, to maybe pick up a copy of The Christmas Carol and light a candle and maybe have a cup of hot tea and sit and just really enjoy this book. And I think as Christians and as people of faith, there's really a lot to pull out of here. I was kind of surprised. Wasn't sure I wanted to read it. I wasn't super excited about it. But as I got into it, I had to start marking the pages up. I've had to underline things and look things up. And I've actually been watching the movies and I've been listening to other podcasts on it. And I've sort of immersed into the world of The Christmas Carol. And I'm, I've really enjoyed it. And the book I have is really beautiful. It's a red bound book with gold writing. And it actually has the original drawings from, I think he wrote this as installments in a newspaper, I want to say. 
maybe a magazine. And these are the original drawings at some point. I don't know if they were in the paper or they were in a book that was finally put together, but they're really strange and unusual. So if you get a chance to find an original looking copy, it's well worth it to look at these kind of funny pictures. I wanted to talk about just some of the turns of phrases that Dickens uses, just to sort of get you excited about maybe reading this book or even just listening to it. You know, maybe you'll never read it, but you'd like to hear some of the highlights. He has such great phrases, like he talks about being solitary as an oyster. And I've been ruminating on that one and thinking about that. And he talks about how Scrooge sits before his fireplace. And this is after he saw Marley appear the first time on the door knocker. And some of you only know this from the movie. I'm assuming most people are a little bit familiar with it. But in case you're not, Scrooge is a miserly old man who hates Christmas. Humbug is his famous line. He's mean and cruel. And, and he most, he's mostly selfish and just all about himself and his money. And he lives this cold, quiet, sad life. And he goes home one night. It's, I think it's the eve of Christmas Eve. And he sees his old business partner who died, Jacob Marley, and he's, he sees his face on the door knocker. And it startles him and he's afraid, but, you know, not quite sure what to make of it. And so he comes into his house and he's at his little fireplace, which apparently was built by a Dutchman. And it has tiles all around it and they're biblical tiles and they're different pictures from the Bible. And it talks about how they're probably meant to give you something to think about, right? While you're sitting and staring at the fire, which people probably did for a lot of time. That was probably instead of watching movies when they got home, they sat and looked at the fire. And so these tiles were meant to give you something to think about. And Dickens talks about how there was a picture of Pharaoh and how the rods were turned to snakes and how all his other thoughts, all of Scrooge's thoughts were swallowed up. Like the rods that were turned to snakes, they were all his other thoughts were swallowed up in that same way that Moses's rods swallowed up Pharaoh's rods. And I just thought, what a word picture. I don't even think I said that really great, but hopefully you got the idea of what he's conveying. And I just thought, oh, wow, I've, what a great way to word that, to have all your other thoughts swallowed up like the snake that God turned Moses's rod into. And so stuff like that, that's just like a little taste of something that I thought was, whoa, that's a really interesting way to put that. So there's a lot of that in here, a lot of things that you're just like, oh, yeah, okay, that's why this guy's a really famous writer, if you're not familiar with him. But let me get into some of the thoughts I had just about what you could pull out of this and apply to your own life and to just make you think. And it certainly has a strong spiritual application, as you'll see. Marley's ghost comes back to talk to Scrooge about how, you know, they, they basically did it wrong. Like we were all about making money and saving money and we we were just these kind of sad old men that we didn't have a family and we didn't have friends and we never had a party and we never enjoyed anything and we never helped anybody, but we just saved up money and made money. And Scrooge is saying to Marley's ghost, well, that's great. I mean, we were, were great businessmen. You were a great businessman and I'm a great businessman. Like what an achievement. And Marley comes back with no my business should have been the business of mankind. And I'm going to read this passage for you because I just thought it was really interesting. So basically Scrooge just said to Jacob, but you were a great businessman. And so this is Marley's reply. 
business! cried the ghost, wringing his hands again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence were all my business. The dealing of my trade were but a drop of water in the ocean of my business. And I just thought, what a great way to word that. Yes, we we have jobs, right? We're we're doctors and we're lawyers and we're moms and we're teachers and we're policemen and we're secretaries and we have these jobs and sometimes it can feel like that's who we are and that's what matters and that's what's important. And this is Marley saying, actually, that's nothing. Like that's just what you do. What your real business is, is charity and mercy and helping people and with what you ever spot you're put in in life, whatever job, whatever vocation you're doing, be it something really simple or be it something really complex, be it something that is seemingly unimportant versus something that seems like a really big deal and a powerful job. It really doesn't matter. That's just a drop in the ocean. And what we're really doing is helping people. And obviously we could take this further into the spiritual realm and we're moving God's kingdom forward. And we're teaching people and we're helping people and we're encouraging people. And what a way to flip this world on its head, right? With what we say is important versus what's really important. And he goes on to say, this is Marley still speaking. At this time of the rolling year, the specter said, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow (gasps) beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to the blessed star, which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? He talks about how as a specter or a ghost, he can't help people anymore. And there's actually a couple scenes where he's looking at this woman with a baby and he wants to help her and he can't. And that is so grievous to him and so painful for him that he can't help. Where in life, he didn't help and he didn't notice. He didn't care. And now that he's in the afterlife, this ghost he wants to help and it's all he wants to do and he can't help. And I just think that that is so interesting to think about that we're so busy and I can be like this, like, well, I've got my to-do list and I've got to do laundry and I've got to go to the store and I've got to write this article and I have to answer these emails and that's what matters. And I just have to get through it. And I don't have time, he said, to lift my eyes up and see where would God have me go today? Who would he have me talk to? And it's just an interesting perspective. And I wrote an article once about just building margins into our lives and having time. You know, we're so busy and there's so many demands on us and they're legit. And we go through seasons of work is just so hard or the kids are little and they're so hard or, you know, we're sick or we're struggling or, and there's certainly are seasons of that. But overall, the big arch of our life is that we should have time and we should have margins in our life. And I think of it at Christmas time, especially, right? We couldn't be busier. Like there's all the parties and the gifts and the wrapping and the plans. And we can get really bogged down in that and forget that, you know, maybe there's someone that's suffering or someone that's lonely or this time of year is really hard for them. And if we just took time to, you know, meet them for coffee or call them or text them or give them a book or, you know, something, it would mean a lot and it would really make a difference in their lives where if we, maybe buy one less present or bake one less thing, that won't really make a difference. But what would make a difference is maybe taking time with someone or sitting with somebody or comforting somebody. So it makes me think about that, about building margins into our life, maybe especially in the busiest times, 
when our time feels so tight. And I actually wrote an article also about when my child was young and I was kind of in the baby toddler phase and it felt like the busiest I'd ever been in my life. And yet it was the most fruitful for me with sharing the gospel and just mentoring people. I think that's interesting that sometimes our busiest seasons or the most pressed we are is the time we can give the most because it's not of us. And it's God being like, well, you know, I know you're going through some stuff and you're really tired or you're really stressed out, but I actually need you to stop all that and mentor to this person. And those were great moments in my life and they were hard and they were tricky, but they were great lights in my life when I could have been just easily bogged down by, you know, just having a baby and going through that whole adjustment. And I've just always looked back at that and found that interesting. Just to say, don't shut that down in your life just because you're like, well, I have four little kids or I'm starting a business and I'm drowning in it or you don't know my boss or you don't know my family. Be careful to not limit yourself during those times because sometimes that's when God uses you the most. The next part I want to talk about is I'm going to read another part. This is kind of the end of Marley's idea. And I just really resonated with Marley and the fact that he felt like he missed all these opportunities. And I don't want to miss opportunities. And I'm sure most people don't, right? We don't want to look back and think, oh, I wish I had been focusing on this instead of that. I wish I had focused on this child's character instead of their sports. Or I wish I had focused on this friend instead of my business and making sure we're in balance, I guess, with that, but also really thinking like when we get to be where Marley is, you know, in the afterlife, that we stand before God and we're accountable for what we do. And I think about that from time to time. And I think, okay, I'm accountable for how I used my words and how I used my time and how I used my money and how I used my gifts and talents. And were they all for me or did I use them for other people? And Marley obviously was a good businessman. That was probably true. He was. And he was good at making money. That was probably a God-given gift, right? That he could make money and he was good at business. And he used it just for himself. And he wasn't even happy. He was probably miserable and sad. But he just used it to just make more money and more money and more money when he was probably given that gift. I mean, I know he's a fictional character, but the idea is like given this gift to use it for God to use it for his kingdom. So if you're really good at making money, what are you supposed to be doing with that gift? Are you really good at mentoring or connecting with people? Or you're really good at working with little kids and being around babies? Or you're, you know, you're really creative or you're really good with numbers. We all have these gifts and talents and they're not necessarily for our like, so we can work up the ladder or we can get a bigger house or we can have more accolades, but they're often to further God's kingdom and to bless other people. And so Marley's kind of parting thoughts were that they sought to interfere for good in human matters and had lost the power forever. So he's saying all these specters or ghosts wanted to do good and they couldn't because they realized after death that none of that other stuff mattered. So it's a good good reminder and just a good thought. I just felt like I got a lot out of old Marley's ghost. So the next ghost that comes is the ghost of Christmas present. So I think I'm like halfway into his time. And he takes Scrooge back in time to see his past Christmases, like when he was a child and when he was a young man. And so when he's a young man, he's an apprentice. I'm guessing he's like in his late teens, maybe early 20s at this point. He works for a man named Feswig. 
I think I'm saying that right. Sorry if I'm not, if you're a huge Dickens fan and you know that's wrong. But he works for a man named Feswig. And this, I just think what he says about him is really fascinating. So this was his boss and he was a really good boss and he treated his employees really well. And Scrooge famously treats his employees really badly. So that's kind of this opposition you're seeing as the ghost takes him back in time to see his past. Scrooge is admiring Feswig and thinking of what a great person he was. And he's just enjoying this Christmas party. So this boss gives on a Christmas party. In the present day, Scrooge has one guy, that a clerk that works for him, who of course is Crotchet. And he he will he won't even give him like more than one piece of coal. Like he just has to warm himself by this one piece of coal. He won't really let him out early, you know, on Christmas. You know, he doesn't really give him any time off. There's no bonuses. There's no cheer. It's just very, very bleak. And if anything, Scrooge is annoyed that this man wants some time off for Christmas. And he's kind of like, well, I still have to pay you. And I guess you once a year, I have to pay you for a day you don't work. And he's really mad about that. And then in the contrast, as he goes back to this Feswig, who he worked for as a young apprentice, and this man would put on this lovely party for his employees, and they all looked forward to it. And people from the town came, and they danced, and there was food, and Feswig danced, and he greeted everybody and smiled at everybody, and it was so much fun. And Scrooge, as a young man, had such a good time, and he just really enjoyed it. And the specter, which is, this is Christmas present, kind of says to Scrooge, like, What's the big deal? Like he only spent a little bit of money on this party. It wasn't like this big important party. So why is it such a big deal um that he did this? So this is them interacting. Why is it not? He had spent but a few pounds of your mortal money, three or four perhaps. Is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that, said Scrooge, heated by the remark and speaking unconsciously like his former, not his latter self. It isn't that spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. Say that his power lies in words and looks, in things so slight and insignificant, it is impossible to add and count them up. What then? The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. So this is Scrooge describing Feswig, and I just think, oh, wow, I would wouldn't we all love to have that described as us? And it can be us, that we have the power in our smiles, in our greetings, in our goodbyes, in our, you know, little gestures we make. We can welcome someone, embrace somebody. We can make someone feel seen and loved and heard. We can comfort someone and, you know, just be with someone when they're hurting or be with someone when they're celebrating. And that this little thing that costs so little yet is worth a fortune is something we all can do, no matter how much money or time or capacity we have. We can give this little bit that really makes a huge difference and has the power on certain days and certain times of a person's life to really make them happy or not happy. And we can certainly take the time to point them to the Bible, into truth, into the ultimate comfort, into the ultimate healing. And sometimes it's just a word or a hint or a, hey, I see you're having a hard time. Do you want to get together? Or, hey, I have an article you might like to read or a podcast you could listen to. Or, you know, have you thought of this? And it can be just a simple exchange at a Christmas party or at the office or at a mom's group that could intrigue somebody. 
and be like, oh yeah, actually I would like to talk about that. Or I would like to hear about that. And we really have that power to make someone's burden light. I mean, sometimes we're just going through some stuff. Work is a crunch or finances are hard or our living situation's rough, or maybe we have a sick child or a sick parent, or, you know, we're just in a place in life where things are really hard and heavy. And we can go in and we can help that person even just, hey, I brought you a meal, or I brought you the tea like, or I thought about you, here's a little present, I know you're going through a hard time. And that can make such a difference. And it can make their burden feel a lot lighter than it actually is. And I just think that's interesting that Scrooge can see that looking back at Feswig. And he didn't choose to do that in his life. He chose to go the opposite way. And ultimately, he chose to make money his idol and his god. And he is engaged to a woman after the spirit takes him further into like a next Christmas where he's older. And he's engaged to a woman. and She's actually breaking up with him because she can see that he doesn't care about her. And he wants, he's just all about money. And that's what he cares about. And he made that his idol. And she kind of says, you know, maybe out of fear, out of worry. And he says, yes, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to have poverty. I don't want to struggle. And so he built sort of this like tower of money and where he pushed everybody out, including this woman that really loved him. And he probably could have had a, a very different life if he had chosen to stay with her. And so it certainly speaks of what are the things we choose. And it's not money for all of us. I mean, it can be a lot of different things, right? It can be our looks or our health, or it can be, you know, work and maybe it's not about the money. Or sometimes it can be building the perfect family, which um, even good things, lovely things, we can make idols and kind of build ourselves into these little prisons where if those things crumble, if we lose the job or the child doesn't turn out the way we hoped, or we start a business and it doesn't work out, or we invest in something and it doesn't work, then that crumbles and we're really flattened by it. But if we're putting our our time and our effort into building God's kingdom, that will never come back void. Like Feswig, just take that time to make people's burdens lighter and to help them along the way that will always come back in gold. It's the gold, right? Everything else burns. And this is the gold. And I just think there's a lot of great stories, the way it's worded and put in this book. So I'm only halfway through. I'll do another installment on the second half. I highly suggest you pick up the, this is the children's edition of A Christmas Carol. And it just gives you a lot to think about during this holiday season. So thank you for listening. And I will be back with another episode of The French Press.